Season's over, asshole. Hello, my name is Will, and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, still the only podcast in the world, or at least indexed on iTunes, dedicated to the celebration of helicopter explosions in film. Now, in the early 1990s, Sylvester Stallone's career was on the skids. After the world tired of unending sequels to the Rocky and Rambo films, Sly made an ill-fated attempt to broaden his appeal by branching out into comedy. The resulting films, the dire screwball farce Oscar and the laughter-free stop on my mom will shoot, were critical and commercial disasters. And with the emergence of new action stars such as Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme, old stroke features career prospects looked grim. Fortunately, the Italian stallion was able to revive his ailing career by making a spectacular return to the action genre. So on this show, we're looking at the movie that relaunched his comeback, 1993's Cliffhanger. So given that we're talking about Sylvester Sloan, it's only appropriate that my guest is a muscle-bound mumbler who may or may not be using all his own hair. With me once again is my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy? Don't, don't push me! Don't push me! I love pushing you. It's the, my only pleasure in life. <laughs> Hello, Will. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. But uh, I'm glad you could join me. Uh, I've had to have some fill-ins whilst you've uh, been away. Yes, I think uh, my contract is about to expire on the exploding helicopter. So I'm in currently in negotiation phase. So um, I, I don't know who wants to be here more, you or me. Well, I'm ready to get the checkbook out. OK, no expense spared. But uh, we're talking about uh, Cliffhanger today, and uh, I thought, you know, I wondered, have you ever climbed a mountain? That's that's an excellent question, one I hadn't prepped for, Will, but as it happens, as a child, well, not as a child, as a teenager, uh, my formative years, the the listeners may not know, but I lived in Spain for four or five years, and uh, one of our school excursions was to climb the mountain. It's quite a high mountain. I'd say it's about 3,000 feet. And yeah, we did. I, I climbed up, and this is this is how what the safety's like in Spain. Now, if this was in England, everyone would have like you know uh, security briefings, safety briefings, harnesses, ropes, everything. We literally climbed the mountain up with our bare hands. <laughs> And, and honestly, and, and I remember coming down this mountain on the on the like south side on this scree scree kind of stone, just kind of bouncing down, and like one fall we would have like plummeted to our deaths. But you know, these these are the you know 80s in Spain, health and safety hadn't doesn't exist. So did you have to climb into the death zone? Uh, well, I do remember like literally like a ledge type bit and. A- <laughs> And a, and a drop. Honestly, I, I, like, I, I think about it now and I just can't believe we actually did it. And they just said, yeah, just you just carry on walking. No ropes or anything. You know, there was a, a big enough gap. But if you'd like tripped or something, that would have been finito, as they say. I didn't realise you were so qualified to talk about Cliffhanger. So it just goes to show what an excellent choice I've made to uh, get you involved today. But before Absolutely. we get on to talking about uh, the movie, let's acknowledge the world beyond films with exploding helicopters in so i wondered if you've seen anything interesting lately well uh, as regular listeners may or may not know i, I you know I, my diet isn't exclusively choppers i like to branch out a little bit so it, we were kind of like we went on holiday not so long ago we thought oh we need to take some films with us let's you know the usual thing look at guardian website or look on a few websites what are the best films of 2015 2016 so one of them that um come to our attention was something called the fits basically first time director anna rose holmer um set in uh 
an Afro Afro-American school, I think the, the PC term is in the US. Basically follows a tomboy girl, tomboy girl, 11 years old, hasn't tra- having trouble fitting fitting in the school. She sort of takes boxing lessons with her with her brother who runs like the, the gym at the school, and uh, she's kind of trouble getting in with the girl, trouble being popular, and uh, she decides to take a dance class different from what she's used to in the boxing gym with loads of men, with loads of boys. She suddenly goes into this female arena and it's a bit catty and bitchy. So then suddenly some of the girls start to have these sort of spontaneous fits and they think it's the water in the in the gym that's causing this to happen. And uh, it's never really explained. It's obviously a metaphor for sort of a coming of age um, and trying to fit in, literally fit in with your peers. Um, got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's why kind of we sort of picked it to watch. It was done on a very low budget. I think it's like a 200,000 euro. And I thought it was all right. It was one of these ones where, I don't know, there's a lot of these films that get made. They're kind of artsily directed, but there's not a lot of substance to them. They kind of, they, I just didn't get, I didn't get 98% enjoyment out of this film. <laughs> and so therefore I want my money back. Well, based on what you said, given that this is a film about uh, American uh, school children going through puberty i don't think there's very much there for me to get interested in so uh, thanks for alerting me to this film. thanks for nothing thanks for nothing and uh, i will make sure i give this film a big miss yeah give it a miss will okay i think it's time we get stuck into cliffhanger now this is ordinarily the bit where i play a clip from the movie's trailer but in their infinite wisdom the makers of cliffhanger made a trailer which is devoid of voiceover or even dialogue so instead i'm going to set the scene by playing a short sound clip from the movie where's the helicopter what the hell's going on what are your names tucker and walker well, tucker and walker were missing three bags What's in them? None of your business. Suits, socks, $100 million, the usual stuff. Travers here was smart enough to bring along a tracking device. I don't think we need two guides. Retire him when he comes down. When a mid-air heist goes wrong, suitcases filled with $100 million are scattered across the peaks of a mountain range. After crash landing in their plane, the thieves coerce a mountain rescue team into helping them recover the money. But when one of the team escapes, he attempts to rescue his colleagues while sabotaging the villain's attempts to retrieve the cash. Cliffhanger came out in 1993. It stars Sylvester Stallone, John Lithgow, Michael Rooker and everyone's favourite British hardman Craig Fairbrass. On its release, the film was a commercial and critical success, with critics praising the stunts, action and tension. Curiously, Cliffhanger has a 69% critical rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but only an audience rating of 51%. IMDb reviewers, meanwhile, gave it a 61% rating. Testament, though, to the quality of the film was its nomination for three Oscars. These were in various technical categories, best sound, visual effects and editing. So, Dara, what did you make of Cliffhanger? See, it's funny you mention it got Oscar nominated. Did it actually win Oscars, this film, or was it just nominated? Just nominated. Right, because it also got nominated in the same year in the Razzies as wor- for Worst Picture, Worst Supporting Actor, uh, and Worst Screenplay, which the screenplay was actually written by uh, Stallone. And if, I'm on, if I had to put my foot in a camp, the Razzie camp or the Oscar camp, my foot would be sliding down the slippery slope to the Razzies for this one. I basically haven't seen this film 
since I watched it at the cinema in 1993 when I was a innocent, fresh-faced 17-year-old. So I'm seeing it now quite a few years later for what it is, which is a bit of a ludicrous action film, which we used to make a lot of in the 80s and early 90s, with some great stunts and the sort of popcorn flick that they don't really make so much anymore. A lot of um, natural stunts and kudos, I guess, to the uh, director and the actors for for making the you know making it realistic in that sense. Whilst the action's very realistic, the plot and the acting isn't. Well, I'm really surprised that you're so down on the believability of this film because I th- actually think that one of the strengths of this film is the fact that it is more grounded. And that the, the uh, you know, and I mean, you have conceded that the action is completely believable. But, you know, I actually feel that, you know, this is a film that is more rooted in reality. So what, what aspects of it did just seemed not believable to you? Well, you know, hijacking a plane midair by going aboard and then having a zip wire, zip money from one plane to. Why don't you just hijack the plane? Or why don't you throw the money down on in, on a parachute? It's so convoluted just to shoehorn that kind of amazing action sequence. But where if viewers don't haven't seen it for a while, basically what they do is they hijack one plane, they take the money in suitcases, and they they attach a zip wire from one plane to another plane in midair, and then have the cases go down the zip wire. And then blow the other plane up so there's no evidence. You could just throw the the money out on parachutes and collect it. You could just take the plane and hijack it. There's so many other things you could do to make it less convoluted. That, for a start, is completely unbelievable for me. Such a ludicrous premise. But you're getting really hung up on one sequence in the film. It's quite a big... It's, it's the main bit of the plot. It's well, the main, it, it, it gets the, it, it gets the suitcases scattered out across the mountains. So then right. the the kind of the cat and mouse, the search for the suitcases can begin. So they're doing that in the the most exciting, dramatic way that they can. And they've got and they've got like a an LCD screen that this man has got. Only one man can use it because it's got special codes in it that they can f- find all these suitcases. And it's all kind of pinpoints. It's got like mountain geometry in it so it knows exactly where it's just ridiculous it's ridiculous uh, sorry will you got it uh, well I, 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 like okay let's compare this to another sylvester stallone film that came out in the same year as cliffhanger okay so demolition man came out in the same year as cliffhanger now let's compare those two films are you okay. telling me that demolition man is a more reality-based movie than cliffhanger no i'm not i'm saying they're both ridiculous but which one is less ridiculous? Why, why, pick, why, pick, why pick Demolition Man? That's like a terrible example. Well, That's because like, it came out in the same year okay. and it also features the same actor. That so goes, I think I have very sound and solid reasons for picking Okay. That. Well, that probably shows you more of uh, the kind of feeling of the time that these kind of over-the-top films can be made and people don't seem to bat an eyelid because they just want action in cinema. I don't know whether people are a bit more sophisticated now or maybe I've just got older. I need a little bit of something else. Like, for instance, we do we talk about comparisons. This film, for me, a lot of the elements are like Die Hard. I know it's not on the same, but the kind of the way the action is is from around that sort of time. The way the action kind of progresses, the different characters you've got. But I can accept that if you've got some humour to kind of you know that people this is a bit tongue in cheek. There's literally this film is devoid of laughter. I didn't think I don't think I laughed once. Well, I think you're 
bringing your own personal peccadilloes to your review because I don't, I don't see why you have to have comedy and laughs alongside the action I mean sure some films have done that and incorporated it incredibly well but you know I don't think that uh, you know Predator is a great action movie but it's not certainly not a comedy no, but there's 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 a light touch to elements to that, you know, the kind of riffing. Also, maybe if you bring something up like Predator, if you're having a, having like an ensemble cast where everyone's called a distinct sort of character, you know, I struggle to even tell. I watched this film the other day and I struggled to tell you all the people in John Lithgow's, you know, his goons basically because they're kind of featureless. No backstory to them. There's nothing to it. With someone like Die Hard, you know, you can still remember Hans Gruber. You still remember all the, you know, Ellis. You still remember, you know, even the limo driver. Everyone's got their own little thing. They're, they're much more memorable. Predator, for instance. You remember all the characters in Predator. Hang on, hang on. It, name me, Shane, name me, Black. name me Hans Gruber's gang. And, so, and tell me about their backstories. Okay, so there was the blonde, the blonde mullety guy. I can't remember their names, Will. You're putting well, see, now you see you're, you're, there's you're, him. you're, there you're, so, Di- you're holding up Die Hard as some sort of like the film that does this really well. And then you can't even name the characters. You remember and you the... can't even tell me about their backstories. Yes, you remember all, what about, you remember the, uh, uh, you know, the two, uh, FBI agents, even Johnson and Johnson, those those are memorable because there's you you can remember the uh, I forget one his was name. in Vietnam, one wasn't. That's all there you can go. tell me about their backstories. But you know the there's the policeman who's you know about he's doing his beat and you know talks about his Twinkies, little elements of things just to make it a bit more real. You know I didn't get anything from any apart from uh, what's his name the the English guy. Uh, we're gonna talk about later on. Um, what's Craig his name? Fairbrass. Craig Fairbrass, who you know, doing his proto Vinnie Jones. That bit is is ridiculous, but at least that's something you remember about him. Tell me anything about any of the other ones. Well, there's the British one, the black one, the long-haired one, and <laughs> the there's long- and there's the woman. It's ridiculous. They're rubbish. They're awful. That's my point. Okay, let's dial this down a notch. Let's okay. let's try and stay friends. Let's take the breath. There's, it's all getting a bit heated now. Yeah, uh, let's let's try and uh, let's try and finish this uh, in, a, in a state of uh, amicable uh, amicable friendship. We're professionals, but, Will. We shouldn't be exactly, you know, barking yeah. at each other like this on the internet for everyone to hear. <laughs> and of all the, all the things to provoke this type of this type of ire, you know, it shouldn't be shouldn't be cliffhanger, but it shouldn't, uh, be, it shouldn't be cliffhanger. Well, let's talk about something we can hopefully agree on. And Cliffhanger marked the return to the action genre for Sylvester Stallone. And as we've already alluded to, it's got some fantastic stunts and action set pieces in this film. You know, which ones stood out for you? My favourite. Well, I, obviously, you, the, the opening scene is amazing when the, the Stallone is trying to rescue the girl who's basically uh, up a mountain with Michael Rooker, and they, he's hurt his knee and he can't, can't cross over, so he needs Stallone's help. And that's supposed to be the tension in the film because, plot spoiler, but Stallone lets the girl slip from his hands and she falls to her death. The whole, that whole kind of beginning, I think, is, is excellent. It kind of, it's very, quite tense. Oh, it's and very kind of, tense. Very, very tense. tense. That's a fantastic stunt. Obviously, the big sort of money shot, so to speak, we kind of touched on it already, is the mid-air stunt from where one, where one stunt man goes from one plane to another plane in, in fifteen thousand feet on a zip wire. Apparently, this guy Simon Crane was paid a million dollars to do that. It's one stunt because it was that dangerous. It is. You can see. You do get a sense of wow. This is quite impressive stuff they're trying to do. Even if you don't, you know, if it's not believable in the plot. I quite like the stunt where they're Stallone's grappling with one of the goons and they're sliding down the mountainside and. 
Stallone, but digs the guy's face into the mm. snow and cuts it all up, and then he flies off the edge of the off the cliff, and he manages just to hold on by putting one of his crampons in the snow and hanging off the side of the mountain. It's all done. It's all very good and quite, you know, the action sequences when they come in, they are great, but it's kind of, I personally got, just got the feeling that they were just shoehorned in to get from one set piece to another with, and you, you just had sort of, you know, basic plot and basic dialogue in between just to link them all together. Well, I think you're being a tad harsh, but uh, we're not going to we're not going to reopen that wound just yet. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to agree with you about the the quality of the uh, action set pieces in this film. I, I completely agree with you. The the opening scene where Michael Rooker's girlfriend plunges to her death is an excellent scene. It's really tense, plays mm. on that universal fear that we all have of, of falling. Mm-hmm. And the zip wire stunt that you mentioned is absolutely fantastic. And um, it's actually worth watching the uh, making of video of Cliffhanger because you actually see just how dangerous that particular stunt is. Uh, was to perform because the um, he was um, sort of slides down this wire from one plane to the other mm. but he you don't see this in the film but what actually happened was they couldn't grab him to pull him into the plane and you see him being basically smashed and bumped into the fuselage of wow. the of the other plane you can just see how dangerous that stunt was and mm. um all credit to the stuntmen and women who do this stuff to make these films so great. I will add my voice to the others who sort of say there should be an Oscar for stuntmen and stuntwomen. You know, I, I, I don't understand. How yeah, it's weird can... that they don't because every other, like every other single category you could imagine you know yeah. oscars goes on for like five hours or something every tiny little you know the best grip or whatever you know there's an oscar nomination and you know the stunts are what make a lot of you know a lot of films get that get made these days are you know action type big set pieces where stuntmen are needed and yeah it's kind of a crucial crucial part to it i mean one big thing about this film which i've mentioned earlier but i think it's like a, almost like a dying art isn't it the sort of stunt man because of CGI and because you don't have to do it for real anymore, you can just get it on a blue screen. You can do crazy stunts that you would never even, you know, not humanely possible. So therefore, that it makes it kind of, if, at least if a stuntman's doing it, we think, well, a human being can do that. It is more realistic. It's more, for me, more impressive. Now, alongside all the action and the main plot around the theft of this treasury money, there's a subplot involving Stallone's character and his relationship with Michael Rooker's character. At the beginning of the film, there's this prologue where we sort of see a mountaineering accident which results in Rooker's girlfriend dying. Rooker obviously then blames Stallone for her death. And this creates a kind of dynamic attention between them. Now, you know, one of the odd things that I found when watching this film was you'd think that this this sort of subplot would play out in some way, but it never really does. And, you know, I don't know if it puzzled you in the same way. I just thought it was a really odd way of behaving. So this is the scene. So Michael Rooker's character takes a girl up a mountain who's got no knowledge of mountaineering, screws up his leg, has to have someone rescue them both and then complains when one person with no fault of his own accidentally lets go of his girlfriend now anyone with any kind of unless he's got a mental illness we realize that stallone's character is never meant to do this on purpose it's a complete complete accident if you'd sorted yourself out and you know gone to the bowling alley instead of going mountain climbing <laughs> none of this would have happened in the first place take some responsibility he seems to hold this grudge for unreasonable a long amount of time and then halfway through the film 
no there was no kind of like a lot of film they didn't take the time to like develop the you know the thaw thawing of the relationship it went from i really hate you to okay i'm going to help you out now and back to being friends again there was no kind of turning point Mm. i don't know if you felt that's what you were alluding to it just kind of went from one minute really angry with Stallone yeah. and then the next minute okay let's just fight uh, I'm going to save you from the bad guys and with no, nothing in between yeah I completely agree because you you thought that they were setting up a dynamic where there would be a moment of choice for Michael Ricker's character where you know he would this idea that you know he still harbors a grudge about the death of his girlfriend and that would be played off against the fact that his life was in danger and you know Stallone was the only ally that he maybe had against these criminals who were sort of holding them both hostage and so you thought that would be a really interesting moment to, to sort of see play out will michael rooker take the opportunity for revenge and allow let him die or something let him yeah. die or something or will he think no I, we need to conf- i need to throw my lot in with stallone and confront the bigger evil which is john lithgow and his, and his villains and you kind of thought that's what the film where the film was going by setting up this dynamic but as you said it just completely you know one minute they hate each other and the next minute they're allied together fighting these bad guys and you just think well what was all that about it's like another one of these things where who knows what got cut out in the edit it's very difficult i'd like to be in an edit suite with a director and like i've, I've seen some like um dvd commentaries where they explain and they some directors are really ruthless with what they cut anything that's sort of fatty they cut it away to get to the real kind of bare bones of the story but there is that risk of whether this happened or not of just cutting that little bit too much and some important point removing it from the film and changing it completely into as you say audiences just don't know what to make of it now every good action movie needs a good villain and in cliffhanger we have john lithgow as eric quaylen what did you make of uh, eric quaylen and his uh, henchmen well, as I kind of said before, I think um, <laughs> it's that typical uh, American thing of having a, a bad guy, a parody English bad guy, which I've got no problem with. I'm quite happy to be racially typecast as, as the bad guy in American <laughs> films. Not a problem, but I just didn't buy list. I think what they were doing, the director obviously directed Die Hard 2, and I think he was going for another kind of Alan Rickman vibe, you know, sort of intelligentsia uh, you know, menacing with, his, with menacing the rest of him with their with his you know, quick wit and his ability to kind of uh, be dastardly. But I, I just found Lithgow to be so sort of effete and effeminate. I didn't buy him as like sort of this ruthless killer. There's like a one killing at the end where he sort of shoots someone. Before that, he's, he's come. You expect a butler to bring in tea type thing. He's just not <laughs> like not like a hard man. Like, like you know, there's nothing menacing about him at all. So I thought it was a bit of a. I didn't really buy it. But um, I think you you disagree with me, Will, don't you? I do disagree with you because I think John Lithgow is one of the best things in this film. And I I really love his quasi-British performance here. He's got a really good, prissy, sarky, sort of superior air to his character. And, you know, he is utterly contemptuous of the people around him. He thinks nothing of uh, disposing of them the moment they become superfluous to his uh, need. So, um, you know, and he's got lots of really good one-liners as well. But I just didn't you feel that the the henchmen in uh, Lifka's henchmen, they all just seem to be arguing with each other, bickering with each other. The, the, you know, the guy who, who turned tables and was in the FBI 
worked for the FBI and I was with them, constantly bickering with the other. Everyone's they weren't really very organized. It, it, I just didn't strike me ha- as having the you know efficiency as maybe comparing it too much to Die Hard and their kind of German machine. Everyone is coordinated. <laughs> everyone's you know no one usurping anyone, listening to orders, getting the job done. These were like a ragtag bunch. You know, arguing between themselves, I just didn't feel like they were a top-class unit. Well, it's interesting you say you don't like Lithgow in this movie because he was actually a last-minute replacement in this film because originally Christopher Walken had been cast in this role, but then he stepped out and John Lithgow was brought in quite late. So do you think Ah. you would have liked this better if Christopher Walken was in that role? Definitely. This could do with a... You know, this would be good for John Malkovich if they wanted to go big. Mm. then John Malkovich would have been perfect. Or uh, Christopher Walken is fantastic. He's got that kind of menace to him, like kind of odd, like quiet menace. So either of those two would have been better. Or a heavy drugs era Gary Oldman, he would have been good. He's not, he's he's a weird one, John Lithgow, because he's, a lot of people speak quite highly of him, but I think obviously he, he's not, I don't think he's very versatile. He will play John Lithgow, uh, but I don't really remember him in a lot. I don't know whether that's me or that's his fault. Let's just say it's his fault. I'd rather say it was your fault, but uh, <laughs> we'll um, we'll leave it there. But um, uh, we probably should mention um, in The Henchmen, uh, we should mention Craig Fairbrass, who uh, obviously we're both British. So we have seen a lot of C- Craig Fairbrass. He has moved mm-hmm. into the film world, but he made his name in the UK in a TV series called London's Burning. And he then turned up in a popular soap opera called uh, EastEnders. And I thought he was one of the highlights of the film. He was doing a Vinnie Jones before Vinnie Jones did Vinnie Jones. Uh, <laughs> that kind of hard man, foul uh, cockney, foul-mouthed, you know, a bit of football thrown in. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Vinnie Jones watched a few, watched Cliffhanger on repeat to, uh, get, you know, get his performance down pat. It's, it's a shame, really. His, his career, has, it, has, he, has he been in anything lately? Has he done much after Cliffhanger? Uh, he's done a lot, but it is all this low-budget British crime film type uh, stuff. Okay. So things like Rise of the Foot Soldier. So he frequently co-stars with people like Danny Dyer. But uh, we should talk about his big scene in this film, which is where he attempts to kick Michael Rooker to death. And in order to give the scene a little bit of extra drama, he sort of reveals that uh, that he used to be a uh, footballer and uh, basically gives a football-related running commentary as he repeatedly boots Michael Rooker. And it was a very bizarre addition to that particular scene, but I I enjoyed it. It's odd, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's a very odd, odd scene. And, like, you know, he's he's, he's trying to be... He's, like, John being John Motson, you know, commentating (laughs) whilst he's actually, you know, beating someone to death, kicking someone to death. What kind of lets it down a little bit? And I can tell that Stallone as penned this is that he doesn't say football he says soccer every time and no Englishman worth their salt will be describing his moves and call himself a striker the striker playing soccer it's not you wouldn't get you an English person wouldn't say that so it's a little bit wooden the dialogue and maybe he should have stepped in and said look mate this is not you know I know you're stuck but listen this is not how it goes down here this is not how we talk yeah. but it's we, quite you know, we've been playing football weird. a lot longer than you've been playing football this Just is because you've escaped a victory doesn't yeah. mean you know what you're talking about. <laughs> 
So, yeah, that is a, a delightful scene. Before we sort of close up our discussion of the film, is there any, any other little, little things you want to mention before we uh, move on to the main reason we do this podcast? I think it was worth a mention, and it, one of the things that struck me uh, as kind of an odd character to make this film quite dated was those two young boys. <laughs> you, you know the ones I'm talking about, Will, the don't stoners. you? Who are basically, yeah, the stoners. Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Buttheads. Uh, wild stallions uh, it's you know party on dude it's really weird it's like of that time they were like caricatures of youth culture yeah. uh, i quite liked it that's one of my favorite bits of the film exactly and they are very they're very peripheral characters to the yeah. film yet rennie harlan portrays their deaths with like massive close-ups with lots of slow motion <laughs> as if they're characters we're really invested in and really care about and it's it, it was uh it just sort of added to the incongruity of, of of them as characters and and what they were doing in this film i just yeah they are they are bizarre little time capsule for me they add to the sum of enjoyment of this movie they do add to the sum of joy you know they harken back to innocent in more innocent times Okay, I think it's time to get down to business. And by business, I mean examine the exploding helicopter action in Cliffhanger. So we're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hello, you lot. I'm Daryl. And I'm Ben. And we're Sudden Double D, the Triple Bill title podcast. Each fortnight, we watch three films linked by a word in the title. For example, Sudden Impact, Double Impact and Deep Impact. Or Young Frankenstein, Young Guns and While We're Young. Or... Four flies on grey velvet, blue velvet and velvet goldmine. You get the idea. If you're into finding links between weird triple bills, taking pot shots at terrible movies and listening to two film fanatics bicker, then we've the show for you. Search for Sudden Double Deep on iTunes, Stitcher and all good podcatchers and find us on Twitter at SDD Film Podcast. That's SDD Film Podcast. Uh, thank you very much. We're back and we've now reached the summit of this podcast, which mostly involves us talking about the exploding helicopter action. Our favourite movie trope marks the climax of the film. Lithgow's villain has commandeered a helicopter in order to make his escape from the mountain. Unfortunately, Stallone attaches the chopper's winch cable to a ladder bolted to the side of the mountain. As Lithgow tries to fly off, the cable jerks the chopper, causing it to crash into the side of the mountain. The whirlybird becomes lodged there, dangling precariously from the damaged ladder. There's a fist fight then between Stallone and Lithgow on the top of the now upside down chopper. The ladder eventually gives way, sending Lithgow and the helicopter plummeting towards the ground, whereupon it crashes and explodes. Dara, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? You've done very well, Will, to summarise what is a enormous helicopter said piece at the end of the film. First of all, is where heli exploding helicopters should be at the end of the film, the kind of the payoff for having had to watch all this nonsense all this time. But it goes on forever. You know, first of all, <laughs> they're like, they're kind of flying around and then the ladder gets stuck on there and then the ladder brings it down. Stallone's on the side of the mountain. Then they're fighting on the top of the, an upside down helicopter, having a ridiculous fight between puny Lithgow and Stallone, which is smashed into pieces. And that kind of go, <laughs> drags on forever. The best thing about the whole scene for me was the shot of uh, Lithgow as he's about to hit the floor and the camera zooms into his face. It's comedy. It's not, it's not, I just found that so hilarious. I don't think they meant to do it, but that kind of sharp cut into mm. his face, like zoom into his face, like the, what the? 
as he's about to hit the floor. Uh, that's I did, I did LOL at that point. That was a good one. <laughs> I love that shot. I love that shot. It's a shot. good shot, but it's, it's, it is silly. It's silly. So silly. Did it not remind you of uh, Powers Booth's death in the uh, sudden death Jean-Claude Van Damme movie that we watched uh, some time ago? Yeah, a bit like that, a bit, a bit like that. But this was maybe because it's Lithgow and he's the face he kind of pulls. It's a bit like, oh, I'm about, to, I'm about to hit the ground and burn in inferno, kind of like the, oh, kind of it. Yeah, it's just it wasn't like a, a look of horror. It was a look of like it's weird. It was odd. Uh, the whole, uh, the kind of set piece is pretty cool. The explosion is excellent. You get a lot of all the things that we like to see in these sort of things. You know, a real explosion. You get to see the wreckage hitting the floor you get all that kind of fight on top of it you get you know the ladder and it dragging mm. on dragging down I mean, it was must have been quite difficult to do that it looked like it was done on this on a real side of a mountain i don't know how how they did it the film it was actually a combination of uh, of different things so they obviously had a set that they had rigged up with the the fuselage of the helicopter upside down so you can have Lithgow and Stallone or their stunt doubles have that but then the uh, fuselage dropping to the ground that was actually model work but it's oh. so it's so well done. Being... I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. I think that's, that was excellently done. Okay, Dara. I think we've just about uh, scaled the heights of this podcast, or we've maybe plummeted to the depths of it. So I think it's time to base jump our way out of here. Uh, thanks for for joining me once again. Do you have any uh, words you want to leave the listeners with? My contract negotiations will probably take place uh, next week. So listeners. It's up to you. If you know, if you want me to be on these things, then you need to badger Will to uh, give me the money that I am due, basically, for keeping this <laughs> sad thing afloat. Send me your pennies and your five p's, please. As always, I'd like to point you in the direction of the Exploding Helicopter website, where you can uh, find us at explodinghelicopter.com. Where we'll we'll try to amuse you there with our reviews of films with helicopter explosions in them. We'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. You're an asshole. Yeah? And you're a loudmouth punk slag. He's about to die. Maybe. But in a minute, I'll be dead. You will always be an asshole. So go ahead and shoot him. I'm getting cold. Shoot! Who's shooting? Tell me. You like soccer? It's a great sport. I was a good striker. Isn't that sunrise? I swear it now. 
That's a penalty kick. Run sportman like. A lovely little chip shot. He dribbles past one defender. Two defenders. Three defenders. Striker lines up at the penalty spot. He focuses on the ball. The crowd is on his feet. Striker moves to his left. He draws back his foot. He comes in. 